Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. How are you? I am recording, coming to you from a nice, what feels like a fall day in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Do you have an apple in your hand? Um, like a metaphorical apple or like a, like a piece of technology apple or like a fruit apple? No, a fucking, fucking apple. No, I don't like Like, apples. Do you not remember this? Are you in the garden of Eden? I don't, I don't, I don't like apples. Oh, oh. I, I actually have no recollection. I don't like of apples that. unless they're in pie. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, for me, the most perfect fall day has to have an apple in my hand. So, okay, um, doesn't work, but that sounds so nice. <laughs> it is nice. <laughs> it is nice. And uh, listeners who listened last week will know that I have been here for the Toronto Film Festival, which was just such a great, beautiful experience. Uh, Shout out to all of you that I met this week who admitted to me that you were as Sandy and Nora fans. Uh, We have quite a few fans in the industry, Nora. Quite a few fans, people who are looking out. Well, me, the big fan of film that I am, I'm so excited to hear that. (laughs) Nora hates film. Anyway. (laughs) But I love people in film. I love people. I love fans of Sandy and Nora, regardless of what they do for a living. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad that that's your baseline. <laughs> you know, how are you doing? You know what? I so you were walking red carpets and meeting Sandy Nora fans and doing your thing uh, for your creative endeavors. And I was sitting um, in a hotel lobby, the Hilton, which is a nice hotel, buying uh, six dollar coffees and trying to not get kicked out as I covered the conservative convention. You know, I did listen to the news, uh, the daily news this week. So I did hear this. And I, I admit, I am so disappointed because I recall back in the day when this was something that the two of us would try to do together, uh-huh. that the conservatives led us into the convention. The liberals never did because for whatever reason, uh, this is how politics works in this country, folks. <laughs> the liberals never did li- let us into the convention, but the, the conservatives did. There was a way that they were like, you know, they weren't trying to hide their ugly politics. They were like, yeah, come through, see it, you know? And yeah, enjoy I, it. I was disappointed. Yeah, I was disappointed to hear that um, they've turned this way. Like, this is what they're doing now. It's like, come mm. on. And how dumb. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It sucks. I mean, I have a new enemy in the director of communications. This woman is the kind of person that when you talk to them, you just see kind of like a blank cardboard box, which makes sense because she got famous online because uh, Trudeau announced that he was, I don't know, banning single use plastics. And then she made a video of herself like dumping a bunch of water out of a cardboard box on her head as she tried to drink from it. I don't know if you ever saw this video. She's now the director of communications. Her name is Sarah Fisher. You know, big old fuck you to her. And, um, and yeah, it sucked. It sucked. I mean, it's like, it sucks being tailed by security. It sucks being surveyed. It sucks. It sucks talking to delegates about how the mainstream media is all biased and, uh, and, and, and we need real freedom of speech. And I'm like, yeah, but your party wouldn't let me in. And they're all like, whoa, we wouldn't. That's so bad. And it's like, fuck, you know, it sucked. So I, I, you know, it's been more than a week. I'm recovering from it. I wrote a bunch of stuff. People should check it out. But, um, yeah, I want to know what I did in my past life to have created the life that I have now because it's kind of like, mm, that sucked. Yeah, that does suck. I'm sorry. I, do you think it was useful at all for anything to go and to yeah. try to speak to people? Did you get to speak to some some delegates at least? 
Oh, yeah. I talked to a lot of delegates. I got myself into an equal voice uh, um, social, an equal voice hospitality suite, which was interesting because the ratio of women to men was 15 to 1. <laughs> I know. I did I did hear you say that on the podcast. Very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or men to women, I should say. I mean, there's, that's, there's more men than women, equal voice. Um, and I also yeah. did get to get some wine from the Campaign Life Coalition. So that's the folks that run uh, those uh, really horrifying anti-choice events at uh, Parliament Hill each year. I met the woman who's in charge of that and met their president. And the three of us had some interesting religious conversations. Um, so, yeah, so there were certainly some moments I got to see some people that I haven't seen in a long time. There were some moments that were not like downright horrifying. But, yeah, you know, it's certainly, you know, what's coming in this country. And, you know, that journalists are not equipped to cover it. That's pretty clear to me. It was very much like, here's what's on offer from the Conservative Party. And the journalists just regurgitated it. And there wasn't much critical coverage. And so that's you know, it's one thing to be theoretical about it, but when you're witnessing it right uh, directly, it's like, oh man, it's not good. It's not good. Very not good. And I think that that should be our topic today, federal politics. But before we get there, yeah. I'm certain, I'm certain we have some people to thank and some announcements to make. We so do. Okay, so first on the thank yous. Thank you so, so much to everybody that donated for the first time or changed their donations, especially thank you to John, Tamara, Rosalind, Andrea, Doug, and Joe. You folks are awesome. We need that <laughs> support. So we love it. And, uh, and thank you. Thank you all so much. And of course, if you have been listening, you know that we have a live show coming up in the second weekend of October in Toronto. Yes. So I will be back in my city. Uh, and the tickets for that are now live you can get those tickets yeah where can they get the tickets Nora you can get your tickets from a website that is based in Quebec called thepointofsale.com thepointofsale.com all one word just search Sandy Nora because it's a Quebec site there's not tons of Toronto events so it should be pretty easy to find if you just search Sandy Nora or even look at the Toronto events and uh, tickets have been selling, so um, don't don't wait. <laughs> Get your tickets. Sandy, I said there was a special musical guest, and this is part of why the tickets are priced the way that they are. We want to make sure that we're paying him. Um, he's coming in from Berlin for the event. People get to actually see live the, the, the music to the show. That is so cool. That is so cool. I'm really excited for that myself. I feel like I'm going to be a guest at my own event. <laughs> so that is John Camille Farah. He is originally from Brampton, but is now a global traveling piano player. And his music is amazing. So uh, you will not be disappointed. We have two hours at this venue. So recognizing that, you know, we might not get to all the questions because most of our live shows have been going on to like almost four hours. Folks, it's a little too long for us. Sandy, what do you think about us having an after party? I'm down with after parties. I'm into after parties. I like after parties. Now, I didn't go to a single after party this week because I'm tired as hell, but <laughs> I'm into after parties. So I think we should make it happen. Let's make an after party happen. Okay, so that's awesome. So the show is at four o'clock. Sorry to everybody who's going to be at the NDP convention. Um, we did not schedule it at the same time on purpose. We are actually in Toronto for something else. This is why it's working out for us. You know what? Just skip it. Skip the plenary. You'll miss two hours. Who cares? It's going to be funner at Sandy Nora. Bring the friends who you know need to hear the episodes. I'm always blown away by live shows because there's always people who've never heard of Sandy Nora at all. And they go for the first time because someone dragged them along. And they're like, this is amazing. So, so bring the people who you know need to hear the good news. And because the event is at 4 o'clock on a Saturday, we 
will have an after party. It will be close by the Review Cinema, which is where the event is. More details on coming on that later, but I am in discussions with a couple of bars to see where we can go and get supper and just hang out after at an after party. And I think, I think those are all the announcements. Do you have anything else? Uh, just one small thing. Some of you have followed up on our offer to help support student organizing. We see you. We will convene on that and figure out the best way to to support all of your asks. Thanks so much for following up for those of you who are reaching out about uh, that student organizing. Yes, we can help and we will we will figure that out. Yeah. One thing also that came out of last week's show, um, I had a couple of people say that the way that we talked about the legal name change isn't exactly how it's happening in the schools, because, of course, kids and teens don't need to have a legal name change for the school to call them something else. And I think that that's a really interesting point. I mean, it's been it was raised to me as like, oh, Nora, you know, you got this wrong. It's actually this. I know that. I know that I didn't get it wrong. I think what we are missing in this conversation is that those of us who are in the world of maybe education or we're in activist spaces where we are thinking about these issues and dealing with these issues all the time, I think we forget that that there's a whole bunch of people who have no contact with this space at all. And when, you know, Angus Reid does polling, they're not asking folks that work in these spaces. They're not even asking parents. They're certainly not targeting parents with school-aged children, right? It is like fully average people. And I think that we have to do what we can to sometimes step outside of the bounds of the conversation that have been placed around it and say to ourselves, like, what does this look like for someone who has literally no contact in this situation with kids or the school system or trans people? You know, like there's a lot of totally ignorant people for a lot of reasons. And I think that sometimes we assume that people are willfully ignorant. Of course, there are willfully ignorant people out there. But that's not everybody. And one of the things that I did realize at the conservative convention was that talking to people about these issues is so, so important. And I'm not saying that the the, the person doing all of the activism already is also the person that needs to go and waste their time or spend their time or burn through their energy talking to conservatives about these issues. But in doing the interviews that we did with uh, the Maple and the Breach, we asked everybody about what they thought about the trans-related motions that passed. There's two transphobic motions that passed. And I thought that the responses were really interesting because there were... um, Of course, there were some people, they were not the majority, but there were some people who were ragingly transphobic. Most people said that this was not an issue that they had ever thought about or that they were voting on uh, knowing anything about. And of course, the voting uh, results were quite high. So that shows that they were probably swayed towards towards voting in favor of these transphobic motions. And then there were people who were like, this is bullshit. I organize drag events. Uh, I'm so opposed to this and I'm so sad about what my party has turned into. We have to organize people and we have to meet people where they're at. And that kind of thing is really difficult because we really are so siloed in society. And I just want to make people kind of think about that. Think about the ways that we don't interact with other people around us because our lives are so siloed and not saying you have to get unsiloed. Maybe you've created a life for very, very important reasons that you are not in contact with these people, but those people exist. And if we're trying to change opinions and we're trying to change um, politics, we activists who have the energy to do this um, have to figure out how to get out of those silos that are often imposed on us. And I think that that's a perfect segue into federal politics because look if we don't do that sort of stuff and maybe if we do I just like honestly I'm going to be real honest today there was an announcement from the federal government 
there was an announcement from the Trudeau government that in order to address the housing crisis in Canada, they were going to um, remove the requirement to pay GST uh, from developers of new rental units. Amazing. Life-changing. That's fixing everything. And I was like... I was like, okay, so 100% the conservatives are going to win. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what the hell is going on with the liberal strategy, but I don't know how they think that – I mean, this is, this is an issue in which they could be doing so much, so much that could tangibly help people on the ground, and that could, I mean, even in the most cynical way, garner them support. And an announcement of removing GST from developers, like developers, it it, it ain't going to do it. It's not going to do it. So, you know, the conservatives are going to win in conclusion. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and, you know, we have to organize if that's going to happen. But why don't we unpack that announcement? Yeah. And then also unpack what's going on with like the conservatives doing so well and the liberals flailing about. Totally, 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 totally. And I mean, maybe this is all just because Trudeau got divorced and now he's just got divorced dad energy. Uh, maybe, maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I don't. Oh. I don't think that's it. I don't think that's it. I don't think that Sophie Trudeau was the secret weapon in the way that Polly Ever's wife seems to be. And will likely continue to be. Okay, so we are recording this the day that GST is now off of rental stock, building rental stock. And this is this is the 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 defense. This is what they're thinking. And Sandy, um, I you know sharpen that knife to cut through what I'm about to say. Okay, got it. So we have a housing crisis in Canada. It is very expensive to rent. It is very expensive to own. And uh, these things have been getting worse and worse and worse as things like financial tools have been driving our housing market. So, uh, you know, pension funds that are put into REITs, real estate trusts, and then those trusts have to deliver um, profits back, you know, returns of like 5% a year. And then all of a sudden, where are they getting the returns? They have to increase their rent or they have to cut back on construction or renovations or whatever, right? Okay. So the federal government looks at this. They look at the polls. They look at Polly Ever on the ascent and they're like, we got to do something. Let's get rid of GST on building new rental units. And this will loosen up or unlock the the amount of developers who are on the cusp of building new rental units, not sure if they want to turn them into condos because then they can sell the units. Instead, they own the unit or they can sell them to a, a, an, a, an owner that will then rent out units. It will flood the market with more rental units. More rental units mean that rents go down. Better than that, GST being removed off of these costs mean that the costs will be passed on to the renters because there's no longer extra costs to pay that then landlords need to make up through higher rents. You got that, Sandy? See, the conclusion that there's a, there's a jump there that you made and I know, you know, that you made it. (laughs) (laughs) I know, you know, that you made it. It's like the very same jump that, uh, the, that Galen Weston wants all of us to make in wanting us to believe that the price of groceries is just solely based on like has nothing to do with the the increased profit margins that somehow they continue to enjoy but it's just solely based on what's happening in the market 
the, the idea that these for-profit institutions who run these rental uh, units are going to say, well, wow, we saved 5% on GST. This is amazing. Let's let's take those rental costs down a little bit is like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'm laughing at that. I think that that's ridiculous. Now, the government has all sorts of options of tools that they could use to make uh, rentals more affordable, like policy tools that they could use. They could also use tools like, I don't know, a public option for housing, like a whole housing strategy. But to try to like, to do this thing where they're like, I'm going to reduce taxes, which what does that ultimately do? It it takes money away from the government. Okay, they're going to take money away from the government and and hope that the these corporations whose total reason for existence is to make money are going to say, "Okay, we'll reduce our prices to compete with the next guy." Is out is is outrageous because they're already in a competitive situation where they're making tons and tons and tons more and passing off all of those um, all of those, the, the ways that they're making profits in higher rents and higher housing costs to us, average people. And so it just, it just seems like such a ridiculous, it just seems like such a, such a ridiculous uh, strategy. And as I was watching the news today, um, I was just so frustrated to not hear any sort of critique on this at all or any sort of questions on this. It was like exactly what the liberals said was delivered to uh, the television screens through CP24, which is what I was watching uh, today. And exactly what the conservatives said was delivered to, uh, to screens as well, which was something like, Oh, they're copying us. It's just like, (laughs) I don't know if, if this is the level of our politics right now, um, then absolutely the conservatives are going to win because at least they're they're better and more fun liars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that that's totally a, a, a good assessment. And, you know, this whole part about GST actually defunding the state, this is, I think, the most important thing. Because, you know, we can have an argument about whether or not the GST is a regressive tax as a flat tax. There are very good arguments to say that it is a regressive tax, that it shouldn't be applied to certain things. It isn't applied already to food because food is, you know, a necessity. There is a GST rebate for low-income people who, you know, pay the GST but then get some money back uh, to recognize the fact that this is a regressive tax as a flat rate tax. But it's also not exactly a flat rate tax because the more money you spend, the more money you pay in tax, right? So like, yes, a poor person, a rich person paying for the same coffee will pay the same tax. That's regressive. Um, a poor person buying a, a, a $5,000 used car is not paying the same amount of GST as a rich person p- paying a you know, $100,000 car, for, for example. But the idea that if you defund the state, that this is going to be what helps the housing crisis is so laughable and so wrong by by any measure, by by economics, by historical measures, by um, understanding politics. Like this is where things get very, very annoying. And I start to feel like Frank Grimes and I want to stick my hands into like the electrical equipment and be like, well, everything fucking sucks. And then, you know, everyone knows what I'm talking about, right? Simpsons fans. OK. And um, you feel like nothing makes any sense because everyone is all the journalists are like, oh, yeah, of course, of course, the money's can be passed on to uh, renters. Of course it will. And it's like, sorry, (laughs) once those units are built, once those units are built, 
What is stopping? Which, like, even just as an interjection, which is like, once those buildings are built, this is an issue right now, and this is only for new rental buildings being built. So, okay, continue. Right, right. So once the units are built... We have, uh, let's say there's 5,000 new rental units injected into the market in the city of Toronto, right? For argument's sake. What is stopping the owners of those rental units from jacking the rents? Nothing. What is stopping the owners of the rental units uh, from not passing on the savings that they, that, they, that they made when they first built it? Well, actually, the owners are probably no longer the developers. They didn't save anything. They're going to go with whatever the, the, the rents are. There's no rent control. There's no other uh, interventions in the market to make sure that, uh, that the rents actually go down. What's stopping the owners from turning them all into Airbnbs and not actually renting them out? Nothing. So on that side, there's, there's no good news. On the side of the people who rent in this country already and have a place to live, there's literally no good news. This doesn't do fuck all for you unless you believe in the fake laws of supply and demand and as if there's never any greed in flooding the market with more supply and then still the owners figure out how to get more money out of it because of greed, right? And if you're defunding the state, you're taking away money from the federal government to do the most fundamental thing that they do need to do, which is build public housing, (laughs) Like this is the this is the basis of the problem right now, which is that the federal government has not built public public housing. Provinces have stopped building public housing for decades, for decades. And if you don't have public housing in your rental housing mix, of course, you're going to have a crisis within rental housing because the rents become too high for low income people to rent from. And so what is what are, what options they have? They have nothing, which is why we're seeing people living on streets and in tents and in parks and tent cities proliferating everywhere because there's not enough low income rental units and they have an impact in the market to then help draw down Uh, other privately rented out units because all of a sudden people can get a bedroom, a one bedroom apartment for cheaper than if it was not in a public unit. But, but there's no discussion on public housing. If you, if you exit the left in this country, if you exit the, the housing activists, the housing academics, anybody that knows anything about this and that cares about people having a place to live, no one is actually seriously suggesting public housing as being one of the most important in, uh, interventions into the housing market that we need right now. Yeah, it's really bizarre. It it feels very uh, American, actually. It's like one of the, the weirdest things about having lived in America for the last three years is how often Americans like forget that the rest of the world exists and that there are options that exist beyond what they know. And so, you know, you'll have debates about um, healthcare or guns or something, and they're always uh, discussing them as though the only world um, that exists is the American world as it exists right now. And there are no other options to consider, no other places to get ideas, let alone being innovative. And it feels as though like that is happening in Canadian politics. It's like there's there's a world of places outside of uh, Canada, the US that uh, have robust public housing options. And that doesn't even become a part of the conversation, um, let alone any sort of innovation that we could uh, try to, to, uh, to try to solve this problem. Instead, we have somehow succumbed to the idea that the responsibility of, of solving the housing crisis is like 
just a little bit policy and a lot bit relying on all of these corporations, these developers, which they're never going to solve the problem. <laughs> they, they've never been a part of the solution for this sort of stuff. Like, and they're, and they're, they're not going to be. So it just, it just seems like such a huge gap and a weird way of engaging this, this conversation. And I just, man, like if this is the level of uh, political conversation that we're able to have on this topic, then like we're in a, we're in a lot of trouble and not just for housing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's talk then why this is coming down the pipe now. Why did the liberals announce this at their embattled caucus retreat in the Garden City of London, Ontario? Uh, You know, one thing that was very interesting at the Conservative Convention was just how excited everybody was for Pierre Polyever. And, you know, partisans at a convention are... That is so sad. It's so sad. I know. Partisans... (laughs) <laughs> at, at, at these events, partisans are always like more sycophantic than like the average person and more sycophant, sick, sycophantic than just the average person that would even vote for the particular party. But one question that I asked everybody that I talked to was, what do you like about Polyever? Uh, what do you think he needs to improve on? Right. And no one would say anything bad about him. Everybody seemed genuinely excited that they finally have a leader who... Uh, felt comfortable. You know, Andrew Scheer never seemed comfortable. Aaron O'Toole never seemed comfortable. And now here's this guy who's got a very clear eye vision of politics that is is walking a line that that, that partisans and, and members think is good, that he's not getting too far into the into the culture war stuff. He's leaving that to, uh, you know, other um, other acolytes around him to do. And it was universally positive. And I was thinking, like, if I was at the same event at the Liberals, that would not be the case. There would be people who would say, oh, you know, maybe it is time for Trudeau to move on. Oh, he does need to improve on this. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Of course, he's been in power for eight years, so it's normal. But the same thing, I think, is true for the NDP. I don't think that you would get the same excitement and the same unanimity, the same unanimity around uh, uh, Jagmeet Singh being uh, perfect, nothing to change. He's the best leader that that we could possibly have right now. And that has to be scaring the other parties because... Sure. I think that there is some interesting analysis about whether or not Polyever is peaking too quickly, because, of course, there's no election on the horizon at all. But this excitement for him is is pretty interesting. And especially when it comes to housing affordability, he talked a lot about housing affordability. He even talked about rent affordability. And this is a party that has absolutely no plan to actually bring the costs down. They also, like the Liberals and like the NDP, subscribe to the idea that just adding more units will on its own magically bring costs down. Yeah. I think like part of what's happening here is that there's like a a weird, like the, the attraction of uh, poly ever actually is very similar to the attraction to, to, to Trudeau. It's like this, um, this cult of personality, like celebrity type of thing. But somehow, as you've said, Polly Ever has managed to make it in a a unanimous way. But it's also like really uh, troublesome in a different way, because not only are their policies bad, they're not telling us what they are. (laughs) In most cases, they're they're just saying things like it's just, you know, it's just become like the the 
campaign in the time of the internet, right? It's like the memeable type of campaign where it's like, uh, you know, Polly Ever will, will say things to that is, you know, snarky to Trudeau and will say things about things that they don't like, like, you know, rents are, rents are too high, housing's too high, you know, like, okay, what are you going to do? It, 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 for whatever reason, we've gotten to this point in politics where uh, politicians are not required to give us anything in terms of policy. And so this is going to lead us down a path. If we don't, if we don't combat that, if we don't organize to force journalists and to force these politicians to respond to like real questions about what they're going to do, like we should be able to say, I actually don't care what you don't like. It's really great that you don't like the same things that I don't like, like unaffordability. Cool. Who's the person out there saying I love unaffordability? Not a single human is saying that. Like, <laughs> it's great that you don't like the same things that I like. That is not what you're here for, though. You're not here to tell me what you don't like. You're here to tell me what the policies are that you're going to use to fix it. And if the liberals are going to be doling out ridiculous policy like this, uh, that the conservatives, like giving the conservatives like a fucking cherry on top of, you know, the shit sandwich of their reign over the last little bit of being able to attack them with, again, without having to actually deliver any policies to us to to consider that is going to be enough in this the way that politics is done now in the internet age that is going to be enough to give them the win in the next election of course of course because this is a policy that's right out of the playbook of the conservative party like there's no there's nothing about this policy that makes it a liberal policy. And this is actually one of the big crises of, of political moment right now is that we have convergence among all three parties. We have convergence on uh, housing. If you look at the housing policies, they're very, very, very similar, sometimes referencing the exact same documents and therefore uh, saying that they'll build the exact same number of units because, you know, these experts said we need X number of units. And so all three parties are saying the same thing. We have, you know, the NDP that's long talked about removing HST or GST off of different um, necessities of life as a solution to affordability, which it is not. Um, and so now all of a sudden, here's an announcement that could have come from the NDP. And the the, the anti-tax uh, narrative of the, of the conservatives, which is their primary, primary, primary message right now, it's a gift to them because the liberals are doing something that the conservatives can claim that they force them to do. At the same time, you have the NDP propping the liberals up. So I know, I, I imagine that people are listening to this being like, Hmm, we seem kind of fucked. Like what what is <laughs> what is our option if all three of the of the national political parties have converged so closely that we can't even point to the NDP and say, well, we need an NDP government because they're going to bring in uh, rent control all across Canada or they're going to actually build public housing or oh, I don't know, they're propping up the liberals, maybe they'll actually use propping up the liberals to force them to build public housing. Because let's not fucking forget that the NDP could bring down the liberals at any time. At any time. The liberals right now, <laughs> anytime. And the liberals right now are so vulnerable that they absolutely do not want to go to an election. And the li like they actually have their fucking nuts in a vice and could be like, guys, uh, you don't want an election right now. You need time if you're going to rebuild fucking Trudeau's brand or if you're going to sub in a Dominic LeBlanc or a Christian Freeland or whoever the fuck into this role, you will do this or we're going to bring you down. And the liberals know that the NDP don't actually have anyone's nuts and advice. And they're like, yeah, you guys are a joke. 
And so we have to think about it from this perspective that they that the, that the NDP has an has a lot of power right now. And they cannot use it because the power is 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 actually fake because the NDP doesn't want an election just as bad as the liberals don't want an election, even though they are way more election ready in terms of a leader who's known of of, of people who are, uh, you know, already elected and doing work or whatever. There's not really any controversy swirling around the NDP like they could go to an election, but they have no money and they're never ready and they they prefer to hide under, hide under coats. And and so this just leaves all of the space open to Polly Ever and to the conservatives to fucking like do the widest dance possible. I don't know, like fucking waltz or square dance or something or line dance, you know, all over the place. They're just fucking line dancing. Some line dances are good. No, I'm just, it's just, it's a wide dance. That's, I, I, I'm not, I'm not down on, on, on uh, line dancing. They're just okay. it's a very wide dance, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like the conga no like a, a conga line that'd be a wide dance as well yeah look I long. Th- <laughs> shut up um, i think <laughs> that uh the the fact of the matter is if, if we if we think about if if judging by how things are today the conservatives are going to win whether we go to election today or we go to election if we let this ride out until the end of the the uh, liberals term and so like i don't know like if i'm if i'm doing the calculus in the ndp i would be ripping up that agreement that i made uh way back when uh on dental care and pharmacare and child care how are you doing by the way uh anyway <laughs> i would rip up those Ooh, pharmacare don't mention that one yeah, pharmacare is just like oh, no, 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 no. we never said that actually. If if I mean if 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 this is the place that we're at, then if if I'm the NDP, I would be doing a calculus where I'm like, well, f- well, fuck that old agreement, and at least let's get some points in by trying to to have like some serious principled uh, uh, fucking response to the this bullshit policies that are going on right now because. It just seems like so divorced from the ground. Like people are struggling. People are seriously struggling right now. And you're telling me that the best that we can offer is like like in a world where people can't afford their homes, can't afford food, everything's burning down to the ground. Like the, the best that we can offer is like 5% um, uh, less taxes for developers and it on a day like today like what what the fuck is going on <laughs> like it just feels like you know why why would you want to hold steady to an agreement that you made when you could be <laughs> the people who are out there making fun of this like this is it is absolutely laughable it's absolutely laughable this is not a strategy it is not responsive to the to the many crises that are facing people across canada today it's not responsive in any way. And I, I just like, like I, I have said before, you know, like I'm so sick and tired of like the Canadianness of all of this. It's like, ah, oh, we must accept, we must be polite and blah, blah, blah. Like this is like outrageous. Like th- they are spitting in our faces at this point. And I, I just don't understand why no one seems to, to want to engage the conversation in that way. Well, okay. So then, why doesn't anyone want to engage the conversation that way? You you mentioned how uh, journalists were pretty much uniformly uncritical of this announcement. 
Let's be honest. Like there's there is a liberal bias in Canada's media establishment. There hasn't always been a liberal bias. I'm not exactly sure what it was that forced the polls such that journalists by and large are going to be liberal now, whether small L or like literal big L liberals. And I think that a lot of liberals, <laughs> I think a lot of journalists um, are very worried about Pierre Polyever and they know that it's going to be harder to cover him and they know that it's going to be a country that is more cruel and um, and bad and things will be bad. And that, that there's a lot of relief among the journalist class to see the liberals actually say something that might actually boost their popularity. And that, I mean, there's not really anywhere to have that conversation in Canada because the far right has just so properly captured the discussion on on, on bias of journalists in this country. Uh, and, you know, everybody's biased. I mean, I, this, this isn't this isn't being pejorative. I just like my certainly my experience with the mainstream journalism class in this country is that they a lot of them certainly do vote liberal. And I think that giving. Uh, Sean Fraser, the Minister of Housing, uh, who tried to pivot and talk about how this was all about international students and maybe they can just fix it by putting on an international student cap, now has given them something to be able to go, okay, well, man, liberals are still in this game. It's going to be rocky, but let's see how this goes. I I think that that is actually what's going on. And, um, you know, how we get ourselves out of that is, you know, classic organizing, building the left, blah, blah, blah. But we don't analyze enough how much the filter of what is happening coming through mainstream journalists impacts what we even think about some of these issues. Well, yeah. And then not to make this all about you, but let's bring it back then to what you said at the beginning, right? Like if you're having trouble getting into the conservative convention, it's just, you know, I can't remember if we said this on air, if it was in the two seconds that we were talking before we turned on the recording, but there wasn't a lot of solidarity from folks trying to support you in getting in there too. Look, if there's no, if there's like a, a sort of norm of how journalists are going to be um, questioning or covering these issues at the federal level. And, uh, you know, if you're a journalist who's listening, who's like, yeah, but the, you don't understand. It's too difficult. I don't know how to do this. Like the best thing that you could do is have someone like Nora in the room with you <laughs> because she doesn't have a producer who's going to be trying to, uh, to, to dampen the way that she's covering these issues. Like it is really of crucial importance to be able to have journalists from independent media, who are more radical to be in the room who have a sort of analysis that's based on, on, on some sort of principles to be in the room and asking these questions because it forces the mainstream media to also be better. Like the mainstream media at this point in time, when they're being so gutted, cannot afford to ignore or avoid um, the, the, the independent and radical media in this country, because quite frankly, they are going to be a part of making them better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like when I was uh, in the press uh, gallery for the last NDP convention and uh, one of the journalists was like, oh, they're singing I've Been Working on the Railroad when uh, Solidarity Forever broke out. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it was helpful for someone to know what the fuck Solidarity Forever is. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, no. That man. was amazing. I forgot about that story. That fucking ruled. Oh, gosh. It's terrible. That ruled. Yeah, no, there was, there's no interest in, in showing me solidarity. I mean, like, you know, the Canadian Association of Journalists can't even uh, tweet their solidarity. I mean, for me, all the, they, they didn't, they just kind of made a weird comment about something that I was involved in. But I saw that they were, you know, sending out another message of a journalist who's being harassed and saying something like, you might not agree with the reporting, but, or, you know, I always get that from people. Well, you might not agree with Nora Loretto, but and it's like, fuck off. Like, what are you taught? You might not agree with like the, none of these none of these supports of solidarity none of the attacks on us need to be conditional and you know we have to be very very clear like if 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 the if the journalism establishment in this country is let's say overwhelmingly liberal that's a liability and they know it's a liability and you can you can deal with that liability in a couple of ways you can fire everybody and replace them with someone else that's not what I'm suggesting. You could do that. You could uh, overlayer your uh, reporting imposed by management who have interests that are closer to the conservatives, insisting that actually you're going to do um, more conservative reporting. Certainly, I saw the Canadian press, of all things, trying to come up with this fake dichotomy between Pierre Polyever really wanted the focus of the convention to be on the economy, but the members and their policy motions made it on social conservative issues. And it's like... Any journalist covering national politics that doesn't think that the establishment is okay when motions pass at 80% or 60% doesn't know how this works, doesn't know how this works. And anybody that's trying to launder the uh, the image of Polyever to say, uh, oh, you know, he's actually a middle-of-the-road guy, he doesn't like any of these far-right social conservative stuff, doesn't know what is wor- what is happening and doesn't know how it works, that is not saving any journalism outlet in this country, CBC is not going to be unfun- not unfunded because of their incredible coverage of Pierre Polyever. And the reality is that management will always be trying to push you to the right because that's what managers in every industry does. So those are two approaches that you can take if you're worried that people think that your coverage is too liberal. You also could actually do critical coverage, which is so easy in this country because it's right there. It's just there for the picking. And some of us do it. And you're seeing it on full display, mainstream mainstream media and alternative media alike in Ontario related to the Greenbelt. But what makes mm-hmm. the Greenbelt issue different than anything else? It's because there is a 70-year consensus of the people of Ontario to not touch the Greenbelt and it crosses all partisan lines. And so all of a sudden it's actually good for business in journalism to unleash their journalists to do the work that they want to do and to stick it to Doug Ford. That's the only reason why the green belt is getting the treatment that it's getting. And any any the international students of the housing crisis or the fucking grocery crisis isn't getting the same kind of coverage. Oh yeah, it's but it's interesting. It's interesting to think about this coverage of the green belt that's happening right now today in it like in concert with how Doug Ford was covered at the beginning of his term yes. before COVID and then also during COVID. Like, you know, the, the exact thing that you're just talking about right now was what was going on where, um, you know, journalists who, again, typically fall somewhere in the, in the, in the liberal range were sort of falling over themselves to portray Doug Ford as like, um, as like likable, as um, <laughs> competent, as like, you know, we, we thought he would be like this sort of joke of a guy, like uh, helping out his buddies, but that's not what turned out to happen. Like that's how the journalists were discussing Doug Ford at the beginning of his term for, for, for like basically being basic for being basic. He was like being so lauded and it was, it was absolutely ridiculous. And I think I remember us totally, 
uh, ranting about it on this podcast. Well, now look at look at the you know like the result of that sort of thing today. Like it it looks outrageous. It's hilarious. Like all of that shit that's going on with the green belt. That sort of stuff has been going. It didn't just happen yesterday. It's been going on. It's like how did you miss it? Like where was this reporting before? Why wasn't this the type of reporting that you were doing on this government previously? Because you could have been doing that before. Well, because it didn't. It's it, these are difficult issues and they're complicated, and you know we can't upset too many people. Are they? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know it is. So <laughs> now here we are. I mean, we're right. stuck between a rock, the Liberal Party of Canada, that rock being propped up by the NDP, and a hard place, which is the Conservatives. And maybe this is where we should wrap up. I mean, I imagine people are feeling some level of despair. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the very least, frustration. I don't know. The thing is, like, th- yeah, there, you, and you should be frustrated. And maybe you feel like there's nothing that you can do. But here's the thing. Like, the the liberals have announced this because they are forced to announce something because they have to respond to what people are frustrated about. They have to respond to people talking about life being unaffordable and a lot of that unaffordability coming from not being able to afford where they fucking live. They are forced to respond to that. You can always force people to respond to you. You can always do it. You just, there's, there's different tactics that you can use to do that, but you can force people to respond to you. If, if you're being locked out of the conservative convention, go next time with way more people. I promise you people will be forced to respond to you. I'm not, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying that to Nora in particular, but I mean like if that's one of the tactics that you're using it's a good idea. As, your, as, your, as an organizer, if you want to confront uh, the conservatives. If you're on a plane full of conservatives and Pierre Polyev makes a, some sort of announcement and people are like recording it and he's like, yay, WestJet or something. I don't know. <laughs> Very weird. That um, video that was going around with um, uh, him making an announcement on a WestJet plane uh, coming back from the conservative convention, interrupt, interrupt the speech, like fuck it up because <laughs> then it becomes unusable, you know, and then that's something that he would have to respond to. Like, uh, you know, if if there's if you organize a way that the 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 government or the people in power have to respond to you, then they have to respond to you. And if their response is ignoring you, that is still a response yep. that you can use as a part of the conversation uh, that is your resistance, that is your struggle, and that's part of what organizing is. Yeah. And it's like and to not get too wrapped up in the logics of partisan politics like the conservatives are bad, but they still have to get elected and they're not going to promise stuff that will not get them elected. All of the parties operate on this logic. And so we can despair between, oh, my God, if it's if it's going to be, you know, the liberals are so bad, but Paul Haver's worse. We're going to have to vote for the liberals. That whole kind of discussion, those, that kind of horse trading is going to happen. The strategic vote conversations, we have to do anything but but to get to, to stop Pierre Polyever. We'll have ABC, anything but conservative. I know that all of this is coming because this comes out of the liberal playbook. That is all bullshit. That's all bullshit. Like the, the, these parties are differently bad. And the only thing that matters you know, we all have our own writings. We all have our own realities in our own writings. And maybe it makes sense for you to vote liberal. I mean, I you shouldn't, but maybe it makes sense for you to vote liberal. Maybe it makes sense for you to vote for the NDP. Maybe it makes sense for you to write a huge fuck you on your ballot because there's just no possibility of anybody good happening. 
That's one day out of four years if the NDP has its way in this minority government. But it's the political culture that we change and that we force change through. And if we don't change political culture on every issue from uh, from the rights for trans students and trans adults to have access to health care and to be safe, all the way to uh, to moving to renewable energy in some way that's not going to fucking destroy the planet, that all passes through changing political culture. And when we're online all the time, we forget that that is the air war part of, of political culture. It is a reflection far more than it is actually going to change people's minds because us on the left, we don't have the power online that the right has. So we have to change political culture from the ground up. And that will push the NDP into action. It will push the liberals to be less shitty and it might push the conservatives to back away from some of their worst reforms. You know, right now, that's right now in Quebec, what's happening is the, the, the CAC, which has a massive majority, huge, huge fucking majority has announced today that they may reconsider their plan to get away with something that's called, um, like the end of your, of your lease, in, in Quebec, you're allowed to pass your lease on to someone else and, then, and your landlord can't change it. And so it keeps rents low, actually, as people go from lease to lease. The CAC wants to get rid of this. It will be a disaster for the housing market and for rental prices in Quebec. And today they said they were reconsidering it because of the organizing that activists have been doing on the ground and then giving the confidence to Quebec's leader to make this a big issue within the National Assembly. That is how you change political culture. And it hasn't happened yet, but we have seen the the CAC back down on many things that they promised that they were never going to back down on just because of popular pressure. So don't lose sight of the point of popular pressure to actually influence all of these parties. 